This is Report Back, the San Francisco chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America podcast. Our chapter is made of a thousand members in 16 issue-based and internal-facing committees, where the heart of our organizing happens. This is a practice-centered podcast, where we talk about the tactics and strategies of winning socialism with the organizers who plan and implement them. I'm John X, a rank-and-file member of the San Francisco DSA. And today we're talking with Allegra of DSASF's Justice Committee about San Francisco's first ever brake light repair clinic. This interview was recorded live at the site of the clinic with all the road noise and sounds of volunteers working on cars that go along with it. So we apologize if the sound is a little rough at times. For those who aren't familiar with them, brake light repair clinics are a mutual aid project that started in DSA New Orleans and have since spread to be a part of a praxis in chapters across the country. We offer free brake light replacements and instructions on how to fix brake lights to the community in the hopes of depriving cops of one of the most common pretexts for making traffic stops. Now, this might seem like a small thing, but for immigrants, for people of color, and other groups that are often targeted for state violence, Any interaction with the police is too many interactions with the police. Now, to give you some context for this clinic in particular, it was held in San Francisco's Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood, which is a big area of strategic focus for our chapter recently. The Bayview has traditionally been home to working-class black and brown people, and because of that, it's been alternately neglected by the city and targeted for racist and discriminatory policies. In addition to everything else, it's one of the hotspots for non-moving violation traffic stops, which is a class of stops that include brake light fix-it tickets. This is very much in keeping with our police department's record of targeting people of color, incidentally. A recent study found that while black people make up 5.8% of the city's population, they account for 15% of SFPD's traffic stops and 42% of their involuntary car searches post-stop. So, that's why we chose to do the first clinic here, although we do want to expand this program citywide, as Allegra will mention in this interview. All right, so, with that out of the way, which I wish I'd set up better during the interview, here's Allegra. So, um, I'm, I'm here with Allegra, um, who's been organizing uh, the sort of brake light clinic in S- San Francisco, uh, in the Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood. Um, could you just tell me briefly, like, what are the brake light clinics and why do we do them? Yeah, we're just out here. Um, one of the main reasons that cops pull over um, people, or at least the reasons that they give, <laughs> are for uh, having a brake light out. Uh, and so we're just trying to uh, reduce that uh, excuse for pulling people over so that people feel more empowered to actually say, no, you don't have a reason to pull me over. I know my brake lights are good. I know that you're, you know, that I have my rights and, you know, I can be on my way. So it just gives people more uh, of that ability to do that. Yeah. One of the things that was like interesting to me when we, we first started doing them is how easy it is to actually change a brake light. I feel like people don't actually know that they this is something they can do themselves without paying, you know, for to go to a, a mechanic and uh, you know, paying a lot of money for it. Yeah, for the labor. Yeah, it was actually pretty great. A lot of the people that I worked with today, um, I would say it was, it was about half and half. Some of them wanted just us to fix the brake light, but a lot of them were interested in how to fix it themselves. And so they were able to kind of watch us and learn from us and say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this next time myself. And there were some other things that were pr- a little bit more tricky and some specialty things that people were like, no, nah, you can do it. But people were pretty empowered to do it on their own the next time around. 
That's cool. Um, and so, what what interested you like personally in the, in this project? Like, why why did you want to? Were you so passionate about doing a brake light cl clinic here in San Francisco? Yeah, personally, um, I I really enjoy it because I just like getting out there and doing things. Um, I uh, I used to work for a volunteer organization, and I've run a lot of volunteer events. I used to do them two or three times a week, um, so I've just had a lot of experience running those sorts of. Uh, events and I just wanted to provide the abilities that I have to do something positive for the community and do something out here. And so, I mean, what is the response? Have, have people been coming in all day and, and getting the brake lights clean or changed? Yeah. Yeah, totally. We had people coming in. I think on average, we had people coming in like once every 10 minutes, but that's the average. And sometimes we'd have like four or five cars in here at right. one time, you know, so it was good to have like a whole bunch of volunteers on hand to be able to accommodate that. Um, but there were definitely people in here and they were stoked. <laughs> uh, every time we fixed a brake light, all the volunteers were pretty happy about it because for a lot of the volunteers, it was like the first time they'd ever changed a brake light before. And so there would be like a, a big cheer going on and then everyone would be involved and the people who were getting their brake lights changed we're like wow this is so great this is the most excited brake light change I've ever had in my life you know and they were happy to have the food the free food that was out here and um, it was just a good time we had music everyone seemed to be having a really good time um, including the people getting the brake lights fixed and I mean a, a, a big part of the reason why we do this is to you know limit people's interaction with the police because every interaction with the police is a you know potential way that it could go sideways and and you know, snowball in, in a direction that would not, you know, doesn't end well for, for people in our community. Do people, do people understand that? Do, do people understand, you know, the, the reason why we're doing this and why like break light clinics like this are important? Yeah, totally. I think a really good example of that is that we had a guy who was in here, one of the first guys who, who showed up to get his brake light fixed. Um, he actually told us that he's been pulled over before for having a brake light mm. out, but what he told us, cause he's like, Oh, it's really great that you guys are doing it. I really appreciate it. But like, you know, I've gotten pulled over for it before, and actually, when I got home and I checked my brake lights, none of my brake lights were out. The cops oh. were just pulling me over, and they told me it was because my brake lights were out, and it was just an excuse. And so, you know, we gave him um, some handouts about knowing his rights and that sort of thing, and he was really appreciative. And I think one of the big things that came out of that is that it empowered him to, to feel like, okay, you know what? I did just get my brake lights changed. If the cops do pull me over, I can tell them, hey, no, I just got it changed. I know that they're all up to date and you don't have any reason to pull me over. And he had the materials on hand so that he could be able to just like read that sort of thing off and not feel uncomfortable and not feel like uh, he was being taken advantage by the police. So he had a little bit more of that ability to advocate for himself and, uh, and feel more comfortable driving around with a properly uh working brake light yeah yeah it's it's about it's about empowering people um so in terms of the 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 setup for the event like how how much planning and what what went into uh like making this event happen yeah, there was definitely a lot of meetings leading up to this. I think mostly because it's the first time that we're doing it here in San Francisco. We've already been talking about it. A lot of the volunteers around here, we've been talking about when we're going to do the next one. And I think when we do the next one, it's going to be a lot more smooth sailing and not as much like build up to it. Um, but this time around, we had like 
tons of meetings leading up to it. We did some organizing meetings. I mean, they were short meetings, but just making sure that we hit all the topics, making sure that we have all of the materials, you know, things that you don't really think about, having like shop towels on hand and sunscreen and, you know, just getting all of those little pieces together, ordering outreach materials, making sure the outreach materials are, are legible and that they they make make it clear what's going on and that they're in the right languages and just, you know, getting all of that those logistics figured out it took a little bit um, but uh, but I think that now that we have all of them those materials on hand we just need to edit like the dates and that sort of thing yeah it's gonna be really easy to just turn it on and say hey we're organizing this next month and you know just roll out the the whole uh, system that we already have that's great and so like one of the things that's I think it's is really nice is like the location that we have uh, you know we we've got or on a corner, like on a pretty major street. Um, how, how? What went into sort of choosing the location? Yeah, so I wasn't a huge part of the location choice, but that was a big part of um, what we were deciding. We, we picked out a couple of places ahead of time um, based on like community members, what they thought was a good idea, and definitely the corner having a parking lot that people could get in on, um, being a little bit more busy of an area. And we just asked, you know, asked them, and they were they were totally cool with it right off the bat. So mm. we didn't have to ask around too much. Um, one thing that we have been talking about is that um, we made it here in the Bayview because we were trying to um, work with the Bayview community advocates, but we're talking about doing it in another neighborhood um, going forward, maybe something that's actually a little bit more um, in the middle of things and has a lot more traffic coming through um, because it is a little bit dead out here compared to other neighborhoods in the city. And it's not like people who live in the Bayview don't go to other neighborhoods. So we've talked right. about maybe doing it more in like a, a high density area like the Mission um, because we were even talking about it. A lot of the community members in the baby who actually do their grocery shopping in the mission because they don't have a whole lot of There's grocery not, stores out yeah, here. It's um, kind of a food desert out here. Exactly. And so that's something that we're thinking about doing next time is like, yeah, just put it in the heart of the city, somewhere where there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people coming through. Um, that way we can get a little bit more traffic coming through um, and, you know, maybe closer to our offices, that sort of thing. Because even though we might think that we can provide more services to uh, more low-income people. There's there's a higher proportion of low-income people in this uh, neighborhood. We can we can have it in another neighborhood and still serve those same constituents. So. Yeah, one thing I, I will say about that that's interesting is because I I looked at the when we were initially looking at where we were going to do the first one because we've we've done brake light clinics around the Bay Area. I looked at some of the the traffic stop data for San Francisco, and actually. Um, like the, the sort of uh, like non-moving violation traffic, like the, mm -hmm. the fix-it ticket right. types of, of, of um, traffic stops, uh, Bayview actually is one of the neighborhoods where the, most, where the most occur. It's like here and then also like the Tenderloin, yeah. um, which is obviously a very, you know, racialized mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> pattern of policing. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not that there, there isn't a, a need in this community, I think, because a lot of stops do happen out here. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a need, and we actually were talking about that. We were like, yeah, we can we can plan it out in the mission for maybe the next one in like three, like in the next quarter, like three months out or something like that, three or four months out, and then maybe in six months come back to the baby. Yeah. So not like, okay, we're just abandoning this completely, but just like moving it around so that we can hit different areas and, and have a little bit wider of a, of a spread. Yeah, well, there's definitely need for all over the city, I mm -hmm. think. Um, yeah, so it's cool, but it's cool that we're starting out here. 
So what what if you had to give like advice to other sort of DSA chapters that are trying to do brake light clinics, what would the advice be to make theirs a success? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it really does help to have people who have worked with cars before. Okay, so definitely like that, that's a big that's a big barrier. Um, so making sure that you do do the trainings and that people do actually get their hands in there and, and practice doing it before you're on site, but also just being okay with not being the expert, mm. letting the people know that you're working on their car, that we're volunteers, we're just out here doing a service and, you know, be patient. And I think one of the biggest things that really helped like really grease those wheels and make it a little bit more comfortable and fun was having food for sure. Any event needs food. So you always need to have food at an event. Have, we had donuts and pizza and that gave us a little bit of breathing room to say, okay, you know, go ahead and pull up here. Um, if you want, you know, we have them check the brake lights and everything, but after we had them like step on the brakes and all of that, we'd say, okay, we can take it from here. If you want to take, grab some coffee, grab some food, you know, take a break. That got the, the customer kind of out of our hair and not like watching us so that people were kind of nervous about it, mm. kind of somewhere else. And then we could kind of get the work done and not feel like, oh my gosh, they're watching us break their car, like that sort of thing. So that was a huge help is just like making sure that you have those little logistics set up. But I think it also really helped just to have a lot of people on hand, you know, having that energy and having um, people be able to take breaks. And so just make sure that you get people engaged. About how many people did, did, did we have volunteering through this throughout the day? I think we had 30 volunteers signed up on the website um, or on our, on our thing. So, yeah, we had 30 volunteers signed up overall. Um, I think maybe actually just about that showed up. At any given time, we had probably about like 15 people on, on site. Um, and, uh, and that was perfect. I think that um, definitely like having, having be able to especially when we had like five cars and at one time like even though like I said the average was like once every 10 minutes or something like that sometimes we have five cars on site and it was good to kind of be getting people rolling through and yeah um, and getting taken care that's of. definitely something I've noticed with these is, is that it can be a little feast or famine like yeah. you you will have hours where no one comes and then you will have hours where you have five cars for the entire hour because as soon as one car leaves another car comes in yeah yeah totally Great. Um, well, I don't have any more questions. Is there anything you wanted to say uh, that I didn't ask about or final thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, this was just a really great event. It was nice to be out here. It was nice to talk to the community that um, that we're serving and like talk to these people and ask them like what, what sorts of things they need and, um, and kind of just uh, feel it out. And uh, I've been working uh, closely with kind of like the Bayview neighborhood for, for some of the other stuff that I'm doing through the DSA until like actually come out here and like be a part of it and, and talk to the community because I live over in the mission. Um, it was it was really nice to get that that really like community feel and have people um, recognize my face and, and work with people out here, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, you said we were, we did partner with a couple organizations on this. Could you talk a little bit about who yeah, so we just had one other organization that we were working with, and that was the Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, um, and uh, and they helped us kind of organize and pick the location, um, and uh, and give us just like some tips about the neighborhood and outreach and that sort of thing. So um, they're they're definitely a big part of this, and um, and we really appreciate all the the um, the work that uh, that they've done towards it. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks. I think that's it.
The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States. We have over 120 chapters in 48 states. We're an activist organization, not a political party. To become a member, go to dsausa.org. To find out what our local chapter is up to, visit dsasf.org. Our intro music is by Young Chomsky.